All right. Well, we are going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians again tonight as we have the opportunity to observe the Lord's Supper. We've got the teens in a, with us for now. They'll have their afterglow in a minute. We want to make sure that we're all together for this important time. It's November 3rd. Six years ago on November 1st was my installation service, and uh, that was quite a day. We closed on our house on Friday, and then we were installed on Sunday. My dad flew in. We moved into the house. We just parked my trailer in the driveway and took the kitchen table out, the kitchen table, uh, the chairs, put that in the house, took all of the, um, uh, the mattresses, put them in on the floor, and we, my, my dad was there. He grabbed a couch that the guy had left behind, who we bought the house from. Dad slept on the couch. We all slept on the floor, and uh, that's how we spent that first Sunday night, and it was great to be in the house and have that. And then on November 2nd, Samuel had his birthday in, in that house. And now he's 12 years old. I got a 12-year-old. I'm in recovery over here. I mean, 12 years old. Uh, I don't know how that happened so quick, but it's been, it's been good. It's been good to see what God has done in six years. And uh, we look forward to what God has in store as he tarries. We're in 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> I want to ask us a question as we get started. Now, why do we oftentimes refer to the Lord's Supper as communion? Now, different churches uh, call it different things. Uh, some churches steer away from the term communion uh, because it sounds too Catholic or something. I've heard it both ways, uh, Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, and I, I would say this, though I usually use the term Lord's Supper, the term communion is a biblical one. And we'll see it in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, and we'll eventually get to 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, but the word communion only appears three times in the Bible, by my count. Uh, and it's all in the letters to the Corinthians. So let's look at those as we get started here. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And if you've heard John Van Geldren preach, you've probably heard him preach from this verse. He has a good message on this, and uh, you'll hear that message. I'm not going to re-preach that tonight. Uh, but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. There's the Trinity in one verse. And that word communion is the idea of fellowship. God wants us to have fellowship with him, to commune with him. I communed with my family just before we got here at our, uh, well, dinner table. Actually, I was late. So they were pretty much done by the time I got there. But normally we commune uh, together as a family. We fellowship together as a, as a family. On Sunday, we fellowshiped or we communed as a church family with one another at the, uh, the international, uh, not breakfast, international dinner. And that was a blessing to commune one with another and to fellowship. I liked the earlier time. Uh, my food had a chance to settle before the evening and, and didn't have so many you know, weird dreams this time around. Uh, but also just more time for fellowship. It's good to fellowship one with another. God wants us to do that. Communion and community is very important. And God wants us to have that with him. The communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. 
Well, the second one that we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 6.14, where it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? There's that word communion again. And again, we're not talking about the Lord's table. So far, neither of these verses have been talking about the Lord's table specifically, but they are talking about the fellowship that we're to have with the Lord at his table. Uh, and, and, and the kind of fellowship we're not supposed to have is what this verse is talking about. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Interesting. interesting uh, the first verse we looked at was talking about the kind of communion God wants us to have, that which his spirit wants to have with us. The next reference is the kind of communion he does not want us to have. And that is, uh, light does not associate with darkness. We do not want to commune with unrighteousness. And this does pertain to the table of the Lord tonight. All of this ties together. We'll see the third verse now dealing with this word communion. 1 Corinthians ten sixteen. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? When we participate and partake of the Lord's Supper, the purpose of it is to have communion with the blood of Christ, to have communion with the body of Christ. And we'll talk about what that means here this evening. Not to commune with unrighteousness, to commune with the Holy Spirit, to have fellowship, communion with the blood of Christ and fellowship, communion with the body of Christ. Lord, I pray you'd help us from this text to have a fresh perspective on what we're doing here tonight. That we would not just be going through some motions and a quick uh, uh, glass of juice and a, a bite of bread and off we run. Help us, Lord, to have a fresh meeting, a fresh communing with you. Lord, we need your spirit to guide us and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10 is where we are. We looked at verse 16. We'll back up and catch the context so we can back up to verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Isn't that interesting? Christ, uh, of course, he is eternal. And so uh, he, he was with them as he was there for creation. He was, he's been there right along the way with his people. Verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's specifically referencing the golden calf incident where Aaron took their earrings, melted them down, and formed this calf, and then they got drunk, and they hit the music, and they unclothed themselves and rose up 
and danced, and it was a very immoral evening of idolatry and all kinds of uh, licentiousness and lasciviousness there. So we're being warned, neither be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. You see that word in samples, it's the idea of, it's an old word for example, and you see it twice. You see it in verse 6. Now these things were, uh, uh, were our examples. And then in verse 11, these happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition. This is still the context as we're moving toward our text dealing with communion. And then after chapter 10 comes chapter 11, and chapter 11 is the communion chapter. And so this is part of what we need to consider as we think about coming to the table of the Lord even tonight. Verse 12. Well, wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. In other words, if there's anyone in here tonight saying, yeah, those Israelites, they sure were a mess. How many times did they have the same problems and sin and destruction and, and then repentance and, and over and over and over the cycle repeated itself? Whoa, this is written for our admonition. And wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. At this point in the writing of this text, God is not so concerned about what happened so many years ago. He's concerned about these folks right here. And he's concerned about us today. But God doesn't just say, take heed. He also has a provision. Verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with, will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. That verse, how many of you have memorized that at some point in your Christian journey? At some point. You might not have it right now, but you've tried. Okay. Many of us, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that is on our Bible memory program. That's when we've gone over and over and over. And uh, we forget about the context. The context of this is uh, there is an example that God wants to remind us about. It is the example of the children of Israel going out on that exodus, going into the wilderness, trying to make it to the promised land, and all of their trouble, all of their sins, all of their failing, and, and all of the destruction. And he says, don't you get proud or you're going to fall too. But hey, God's faithful. And he's not going to give you more than you can handle. And if there's a temptation, he's going to make a way of escape that you can be able to bear it. You don't have to go after the idolatry uh, that they went after and, and, and die. You don't have to go after the fornication. You don't have to lust. You don't have to uh, murmur and, and tempt Christ as they did. There will be a way of escape. God's faithful. He'll help you to bear it. And then verse 15 gets real I'm sorry, verse 14 gets real practical. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. That's a short verse, and it's pretty simple. Hightail it out of there. The children of Israel 
were destroyed over and over again because they did not flee from idolatry. Well, what are we talking about all this idolatry and mess for? I thought we we're here to talk about the table of the Lord. We are. And remember, there's three times the word communion comes up. One is the Holy Spirit wants to commune with you. The second one is don't commune with darkness and unrighteousness. That's what this is talking about. And the third is verse 16, the communion that we are talking about at the Lord's table. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? He's saying, look, we know what the real sacrifices are and we partake of those at the altar. So this other stuff going on with the idols, altars, this no big deal, right? He says, ah, we don't want to get off on idolatrous practices. Look what he says here. I, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Oh, but there's no such thing as this idol. It's no big deal if we go after this and that. No, it is a big deal. He says, stay focused and you stay uh, uh, worshiping the Lord and don't get distracted. Don't have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Now that's spelled out pretty clear. And yet there are so many times where we muddy these waters. They're not muddy in the word. But we tend to muddy them just as the children of Israel did in the wilderness. They lusted and they were overthrown for it. They went after fornication. They went after idolatry. They went after uh, all these, these different things. They tempted Christ. They murmured and complained. All the while saying, we're worshiping God. We're worshiping God. He says, you can't eat at both tables. Tonight, I want to admonish us all that we can't eat at both tables. We're here to fellowship and commune with Christ. We're here to partake of these elements which are a reminder of his blood that was shed and his body that was broken. And God would have it to be such that we would not run from this table to the table of the devil or wipe our mouth from the table of the devil and run into this table. God would have us to worship him and him alone. Verse 22 says, Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? You know, that word jealousy, again, that's a, that's a, that, that, that's a good word. It means that we are his, and he wants what is his. I always heard it this way. Envy is desiring what is someone else's, Jealousy is wanting what is rightfully yours, okay? 
Like, uh, you know, uh, in this case, we are gods, and, and he's jealous in that sense. He wants us back. Hey, that's, that's my kid. That's my child. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? You know, I'm glad that he is jealous of me when I don't show up at his table, and he looks and he sees me at the wrong table, and he's jealous. I'm glad that he cares. But I don't want to provoke him either. <laughs> and I don't think we even understand how much of a provocation we are. I don't believe we have any idea of how much patience and long-suffering he has already employed and how much we're pushing him. You know, if you have children, you know what this is like. Kids kind of push you and push and push and push. And then finally, mom can bust or dad can... Uh, God has more patience than any mom, any dad. But he also does have his limit. He has his line. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? He really want to go toe-to-toe with the Lord? Verse 23, again, just practical help from the word of God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not you might say, I can, and he goes into it more in more detail elsewhere in Scripture, you know, that, that which is offered to idols, we know the idol doesn't exist. If you eat it, it's not going to kill you. I know it, you know it, but there's not, everybody doesn't know that, and we want to be, be careful for the weaker brother and so forth. Don't put a stumbling block in someone else's path. But he says, in this case, look, you may say it's lawful for me to be able to follow this path, the, the table of devils here. It's not expedient and it doesn't edify. There's a lot of things that are lawful today that are not expedient biblically and do not edify. It is, it is lawful to abort your baby. That is lawful. You can do that in this country as a law-abiding citizen, and you can hold your head up high, and you can come back in to your friends the next day, and people say, you did the right thing. You made a good choice. You took care of you. And you can be celebrated in this country. It's lawful and it's celebrated and everything else, but it doesn't make it right for a Christian. It's, it's lawful to smoke pot in Michigan. I mean, up and down Highway 23, how many billboards on just that one highway alone? How many of you have to travel Highway 23 uh, every, every day, every week, uh, I am sick of those things. And they're all lies. And it's the devil trying to dumb down society and just keep people in this stupor where they can't think. And they, you know what? The devil doesn't want you to feel convicted of sin, the devil doesn't want you to be guilty. The devil doesn't want you to hit rock bottom and if he can just keep everybody inebriated, just, whoa, life's good, man. You know, uh, as their ship is sinking, they go down with everybody else, but they go down happy. Hey, it's lawful. I remember watching the news clip when uh, everything was legalized and they opened the dispensaries the first day and the lines were down the block and around the corner and they're interviewing different people and there's these this one young uh, pretty college-age girl she looked like she had her, her whole life ahead of her she looks smart and like i said nice looking girl and she's dancing and jumping around just giddy with excitement because she's going to get her marijuana and all this hey it's lawful 
but it's not expedient. And we go down the list. There's a lot of movies. There's a lot of activities. There's a lot of stuff we can do. But God's saying, would you consider back up what, what table are you eating at? And when it comes to the communion of the body and blood of Christ, what we're about to do tonight is to enter in as much as we are able with the very sufferings of Christ for the sins that we have indulged in. And it's chaos to think that we can continue to, to eat at both tables. It's confusion. And it's wrong. So I want to see three things from this before we observe the Lord's table. First of all, some lessons to learn from. We have some lessons to learn from. And I'll skip around, John, with the verses. Maybe you can keep up. If not, it's all right. Some lessons to learn from. Uh, verses 1 through 11 starts with a helpful illustration of this, this idea of them being baptized into Moses. So what is this all about? The word baptized can mean different things. You ever heard of baptized by fire? Don't picture a baptismal on fire. And, you know, that's not the idea. The word can have different uh, connotations, right? It has the idea, idea here of being immersed or initiated into. But there is a picture here. And it says uh, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Interesting, we have water and spirit baptism. You have the cloud, spirit, you have the sea, baptism. They were on the land, they went through the sea, they, they would have disappeared from view. Bloop, up the other side they come. Interesting pictures that God gives us even in the Old Testament of what would be coming. Why did God do all of this for his people? He wanted them to have an intimate communion with him. He gave them his law. They gave, he gave them the commandments. He gave them uh, just so much, as, so much information as far as how he wanted to be worshipped. Oh, he took so much time with them in the wilderness and, and after that. Why? Because he wanted a relationship with them. And that's why when we get to the book of Malachi, which we haven't finished yet, Lord willing we will, he's so offended and he's so hurt because they have, they have just gone into ritual. They're going through all of his ritual, his, his instructions as just rituals with no heart. And he is hurt by that. Well, God, we're doing what you told us to do. No. What I want is you in a relationship with you. Folks, it should blow us away that God wants that with us. And so you have this helpful illustration of them uh, being baptized into this intimate relationship of communion and fellowship with God. But you go on in verses 1 through 11 and you leave the helpful illustration and you go right into seeing the hindrance that they had to fellowship. It says, but God was not well pleased. With many of them, he was not well pleased. Verse 5, and they're overthrown in the wilderness. Why? Well, they're, they're supposed to serve as our warning, as our, as our example. And it's, it, 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 he goes through every single sin here. As they lusted, we should not lust. They lusted after these evil things. We should not lust as they lusted. Why? It hurts our communion with God. We should not become idolaters as they became. 
Why? It hurts our communion with God. We should not commit fornication as some of them committed and uh, what was 2300 to 23,000 died in one day. Why shouldn't we commit fornication? Everybody does these days. It's just the American way. No, it hurts our communion with God. Well, why should we not tempt the Lord as some of them tempted? Because it hurts our communion with God. Why should we not murmur and complain as they complained? It hurts our communion with God. And I think we need to, as we head into this observance tonight, go through this list that is inspired and preserved for us and ask the Lord, have I lusted? How, where, when? Lord, forgive me. Have I allowed anything to become an idol in my life? What? How many? Lord, forgive me. You can have these idols. Have I committed fornication? That's a word that is a broad word for all sexual sin. This is something that God, of course, would convict us of and wants us to have victory in this matter. Why? Because He wants to have communion with you. He wants to meet those needs that you are seeking to have met with someone else or some, some uh, just sensual gratification. Have you tempted the Lord? How do we tempt the Lord? Sometimes we, 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 we put our finger in His face and we, we say things we shouldn't say and we, we, I dare you, God, to do this. I dare you. I'm so mad about this. I'm so upset about that. And you left me at, at, at that trial and you for, tur- turned your back on my kid and this and that other thing. And, and, and we just mouth off. We have lost our mind to do this to the Lord, but yet we do it. Have we tempted the Lord? Have we murmured and complained? We're entering the Thanksgiving season our world doesn't even want to acknowledge that Thanksgiving aspect. It's just Turkey Day. It's a day to watch football and gorge yourself and take off of work and sleep something off, whatever. You know, people don't want to have Thanksgiving be mentioned because there's no one to be thankful to. And also, it's not cool to be thankful. It's just not cool. You ever go to the break room at work, sit down, and someone says, Let's go around in a circle. Two thankful things. Ready? Bob, start with you. I mean, I think you'd be like, whoa, okay, I, 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 uh, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, there's something weird going on in the break room at work. That's just not cool. The cool thing is, ah, oh, the boss, the foreman. Did you see how many hours extra I'm scheduled this week? Oh, and everybody has it. And then, oh, that's cool. Murmuring and complaining is something that God dealt with very severely over and over and over in Scripture. Because when you murmur and complain, you are ultimately dissatisfied with God. It's not your boss. It's not the economy. It's not Joe Biden or Gretchen Whitmer or whoever you want to throw in there. The person that you are ultimately the most 
dissatisfied with, though you may not know it, is the God who is behind it all and in it all and working it all together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, those who will walk by faith and trust Him. I think we need to ask God to show us these five sins in our life and deal with them tonight. There are some lessons to learn from, but also there is a lifestyle to leave behind i got to move quickly here. Verses 12 through 15 basically tells us this. Pride is the cause of unheeded warnings. Wherefore, let him that, take, that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You don't need to fall flat on your face. If you'll stay on your face, <laughs> humble, you can't fall on it. Pride is the cause of unheeded warnings and failings god is faithful though to give us a way of escape if we will take it by faith and we as as wise individuals what does it say uh, he, he, he in verse 15 i think it is i speak as to wise men judge you what i say yeah wise individuals flee from idolatry this is our decision will we learn from the lessons and leave a lifestyle behind so there's some lessons to learn from there's a lifestyle to leave behind and there is a lord to love exclusively. A Lord to love exclusively. Verses 16 through 23. We're going to go quickly. Again, communion means fellowship. Verse 16 again. The, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Communion is fellowship, folks. God has always desired fellowship with His people, intimacy with His people. He specifically wants us to commune with Him in His suffering and in His sacrifice. Do you see it here? It says, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? He is wanting us to commune with Him in His suffering. Have you ever cried out to the Lord? I know I have. Have you ever cried out to the Lord something like this? Lord, I wish I didn't always have to learn it through trials. I wish. I mean, I'm glad for what I've learned. And Lord, you've drawn me so close. And this has been really amazing. I'm having a revival. And this is just wonderful. But I wish, Lord... I didn't have to go through suffering and trials to get this close to you. Anybody else ever done that? I mean, I know I've done that. I've sang that, cried that out to the Lord. It's like, John, when will you learn? You know, I've got good news for us all. Communion, the Lord's table, is God's invitation to you and I to learn of Him and draw closer to Him through His suffering. But if you don't learn how to do that, then you may have to be drawn close to Him through your suffering. You know, what we're doing here tonight is actually pretty important. And if you're sick and tired of having to learn things the hard way and suffer, 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 to, to, and go through all these trials, then maybe we shouldn't check out during communion. Maybe we shouldn't be sitting here thinking about what we're going to have uh, for you know, lunch tomorrow and what's going on at work tomorrow and boy, this is going long. Maybe communion's important 
Maybe we need to draw near to the Lord during this time. And again, if you're unable to draw near to the Lord by remembering His suffering, He may draw you closer to Himself through some suffering of your own. That's specifically what it's called out in verse 16 is communion with the blood and communion with His body. In other words, entering into, fellowshipping with beginning to understand just the horrors of what he went through for me. He suffered for me. My sins. Communion with the Lord exclusively. It also says we're a part of Christ in one of another, verse 17. God demands exclusivity in our communion. You cannot eat at both tables. We saw this. And when we try to eat at both tables, play both sides, we provoke the Lord to jealousy. What kind of a choice are we going to make tonight? Well, I'll make a good choice. I'll make a lawful choice. Wait, verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but all things edify not. We ought to make the best choice, not just the lawful choice, out of a heart for God and a desire to be edified. I am hoping and praying that tonight God will help us to take this mom- these moments very seriously, to fellowship with Him, to commune with Him, to draw closer to Him in His suffering. It is not His will that we have to go through these horrible, mind-blowing trials all the time. I really believe we go through them many times because we would learn it no other way. But there are other times God draws us or tries to draw us to himself. Uh, This is one, communion, the table of the Lord. Every Sunday morning we worship him. That's another time to draw close. Every time you get up in the morning and you open your Bible on your lap, and I hope you do, it is an invitation from him to draw close. But Folks, when you push away from his table on Wednesday night, and you push away from his table on Sunday, and you push away from his table at communion, and you push away from his table every morning as you're going to go do your thing, and he sees you, and his heart grieves for you as he sees you eating from the table of devils all day long, over and over and over. In his love for you, he will oftentimes reach out and touch you. And we might not like that touch at that moment, but it's a touch of love. And he will draw you back At the end of that, we have a testimony to tell. Boy, I got cancer. I thought I was going to die. The Lord brought me so close. And He, in His mercy, brought me through. Boy, I've I've never been so close to the Lord in all my life. I'm so glad for that. How many testimonies have we heard like that? How many testimonies have we heard like that? I don't believe it always has to be that way. And... Also, I want to say this. If someone's going through a trial, do not assume. Oh, what, you weren't doing your devotions? <laughs> oh, you, weren't, you wouldn't learn it any other way, huh? Oh, some people, you know, don't do that because we don't know all the ins and outs of why God does. And sometimes there is a trial that he gives to a choice servant who is walking with him and fellowshipping with him. But that person is worthy to bear that trial to be drawn to the Lord, but also to draw others to himself. I, I've told the story before, but there's a guy who died of cancer 
And he really believed that God had chosen him for that trial to help bring all of his kids to the Lord. And I don't believe that was a trial that was of judgment. I believe it was a trial that God used to bring his kids to the Lord. So be careful there. Don't judge lest you be judged. But there are times that sometimes God does say, hey, I've been trying to get your attention. I haven't been able to get it any other way, but I love you. I want to get your attention. Come to me. Let us commune with the Lord tonight.